0: Alright, well, uh, last week we uh, were talking about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, you know, and uh, one of the things uh, that we were saying there is about the, the amazing discernment and spiritual power of Peter, that, that Peter has here, you know, and uh, there's a lot of lessons to learn from the story of Ananias and Sapphira. One of them is is that in the miraculous uh, works that Peter was doing, many of them, yes, were miracles of of healing and deliverance, but also miracles of judgment in uh, Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, it's just as miraculous in uh, what happened to Ananias and Sapphira uh, as the the other miracles. And uh, so isn't it interesting that in our uh Bridgerton portion for today. You'll know them by your fruits. You know, you may come saying, "Lord, Lord, we did this, we did that," but He knows exactly what's going on on the inside and not just on the outside. And uh, you know, Ananias and Sapphira were not really loving the Lord with all their hearts and souls. They, you know, they probably you know had a measure of uh, where you know we 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 embrace this, we're this, we're that, but they. But they were not loving the Lord with their heart and their soul and uh, you know, uh, giving all of what they had promised uh, to God. Uh, and so that kind of reminds us of uh, in the miracles, in the miracle that Peter is doing, he is, um, it is actually Yeshua doing these miracles. And uh, like uh, we read in Matthew chapter three when John is uh, immersing, uh, you know, he says, The one after me. Yes, is going to immerse in, you know, in fire and so on. Uh, and, and he says, you know, there's going to be a judgment. The winnowing fork uh, is, in his, uh, is in his hand. And so Yeshua is uh, serious uh, in the, uh, yes, full of grace and mercy. Uh, but also uh, we are accountable to him. And we see that in the story of Ananias and Sapphira. But I'm going to suggest that the main reason that that story is there, I mean, there's a lot of lessons that we talked all about it last week. You can listen to it. But the main reason I think that it is there is because it is describing the unique uh, uh, place that Peter has at this particular time at the very beginning. Uh, that God is working through him in ways like he worked through Moses. You know, when we think about the plagues, for example, and all that Moses was able to do. You know, everybody else couldn't do what Moses did. And Moses couldn't even, you know, repeat all those things. But it was at that moment, at that time, he was, you know, the the vehicle that God used for God to bring plagues and for God to deliver the people. God raised him up. And so in the same way, uh, that is really uh, what we see here. We see the miraculous power of Peter and in Ananias and Sapphira in a judgment miracle. In a judgment miracle. Okay. If you go back to chapter 4, uh, in, verse, um, in verse 29 and 30, you know, after uh, these jailbirds uh, have been uh, released and they're told never to talk about Yeshua ever again, Right. They pray. Right. They remember they pray for boldness, if you remember that. Right. OK. So it says in verse uh, twenty nine and thirty. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. This was, again, remember the Sanhedrin basically let them go and say and gave them this really uh, harsh uh, warning. Never to talk about Yeshua, never to do this again. Right. But so they come and they pray. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with all boldness, with all confidence, while thou dost extend thy hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of thy holy servant, Yeshua. Okay. So they pray that Yeshua would do signs and wonders through them. Right. Okay. Uh, And uh, and then, uh, you know, it says they were filled with boldness. Then you have a statement that describes how the, there was great unity in the in the this early uh, messianic uh, community. Then you have a story of Ananias and Sapphira where you see uh perhaps part of an answer to that prayer, you know, of uh, Lord do miracles. And uh, this was indeed a miracle that made everybody sit up and take notice because it says everybody feared they saw this was not just... They didn't have heart attacks. You know, this was uh, a miraculous moment uh, of, uh, of judgment. And so it says twice that the people and everyone feared. Okay? Then when the, uh, the story of Ananias and Sapphira is all over, the very next verse in verse 12 says, "...and at the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were taking place among the people." And they were all of one accord in Solomon's portico. So you have a pray there at, you know, toward the end of chapter 4. And in the narrative, in the scheme of events taking place, basically it's they pray that even though they've been warned, God, don't you know, keep doing signs and wonders. May Yeshua keep doing signs and wonders. You know? uh, and of course, Peter and the apostles are the vehicles for that. Then basically, in terms of the narrative, you see the next event is, not descri- description, but event is Ananias and Sapphira and, ju- and Peter's miraculous discernment and judgment and the death of Ananias and Sapphira. And it's no coincidence that he's standing there and the people bring the money to, their, to his feet and each one, Ananias dies at his feet and Sapphira dies at his feet and this is from God, right? And that okay, so now that's done. and then it immediately says, and signs and wonders were taking place everywhere, you know? And it was unbelievable. People were coming from all over with with uh, people who were oppressed and and people who were sick. and uh, Peter walked by and a shadow uh, came over them that people would be healed. This was an, an an amazing, amazing, miraculous thing where where the apostles, Uh, but in in a sense embodied in the person of Peter is demonstrating that Yeshua is alive and that nothing could contain this message or the power of the Messiah uh, from going forth. Uh, And so, you know, when you read it, uh, you know, it kind of, well, here, let's read now beginning in verse 12. Let's read a little bit here. And at the hands of the apostles, now verse 12 of chapter 5, this is where we're starting today. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. Okay, so we're going to stop there. First of all, when it says they were all with one accord, I'm going to suggest that this is the apostles. They were at the portico of Solomon. They were doing miracles. They were teaching. They were, they were there. Now, let's not bypass the fact they're, they're at the temple. Let's not bypass the fact and we're going to see this several times in this story today, this part of the narrative. That here they were warned, don't ever do this again. But what do they do? They go right back to the temple of all places, not some secret hiding place. They go right back to the temple, and now they're right back at it. You know? OK, so with that, it shows us something about their boldness, their courage, which we want to talk about also. Uh, but, but the fact that they're at the temple, the apostles never saw themselves as beginning a new, quote-unquote, religion, a new faith. They understood that this was something taking place within the Jewish world, and there was no better place for them to be than the temple. Okay? The way this is often taught is that this is just kind of an interesting fact, but it's the birth of the church, you know, and church, in, in like 99 and 99, 100% of people's minds is a not Jewish entity now. Whether you understand what the word ecclesia means or not. That's generally speaking what, you know, the identification, the, the symbolism of the meaning of a word. Right. Uh, but we have to remember that this is about the restoration of Israel before it moves forward out to the nations. Uh, And so this is the most natural place for them to be. And you know, just a little uh, anecdote, and you may not be aware of this, or maybe you are. You know, in the modern Messianic Jewish movement, you know, way back when, the understanding of all this was that this is a movement within the Jewish community of Jewish people coming to embrace Yeshua, the Messiah. Not uh, a revival where some Jews get included in a non-Jewish entity but a movement of Jews coming to faith in Messiah and others joining in. Isn't that kind of an interesting perspective? Uh, and in that sense, it really is a throwback you know, to the beginning. You know? So that's how they saw themselves. And isn't it great? Here they are. They go right back to the temple. The temple is where the action is. Okay? Uh, uh, they did not separate themselves from the temple. Remember we saw in earlier chapters, that uh, Peter and John, it was the time to pray, and so they went to the temple. And, uh, and so here you see preaching at the temple, healing at the temple, uh, all of it taking place in this Jewish environment. Then it says in verse 13, but none of the rest dared to associate with them. Th- then it says, however, the people held them in high esteem. Okay, so we've also suggested here, we've already suggested that all in verse 12, are the apostles. They were there doing the, the teaching. Now, when it says the rest, none of the rest dared to associate with them. I will suggest to us that these are the rest of the people who were kind of like followers. These were the people who were believing. These were the people who, uh, you know, found uh, the message appealing. And, and they held, uh, you, you know, you know they, they were, they had seen the death of Ananias and Sapphira, you know, and Peter's discernment. And so they were kind of fearful and, and sort of keeping them at a distance like, wow, this is really, uh, yeah, like, this is an amazing thing, something we've never seen before, right? And it sa- then it says, and all the people, uh, however, the people held them in high esteem. And I would suggest the people are just the people in Jerusalem, the people's like observing this. So you have all of them at the portico of Solomon. That's the apostles. The rest of them are like the followers, but they're like, whoa, in awe you know, of what's going on. And the people is just the general people in Jerusalem saying, what is, what is this all about? What is happening here? Right Now, this is important for us because it is not true that all the Jews rejected Yeshua. Okay? That's not true. What is true is that Yeshua was never accepted as the Messiah by the establishment, by the nation. But lots and lots and lots of Jewish people were believing in the first century. That's very important, uh, you know, for us to get. So when John says, he came into his own, but his own received him not. It doesn't mean all of the Jewish people. No, It, it means he came to Israel and Israel rejected the Messiah. From the top down, but from the bottom up, lots of people were believing this message. Lots of Jewish people were believing this message, uh, and so even though we are separated by millennia, separated by so many layers of culture, let's be encouraged that we are not strange and weird when it comes to believing in Yeshua. You know that that uh, if Yeshua came today, or Peter or Paul were here, of course. We're meeting on Shabbat, of course, you know, not that it's bad, uh, you know, as Paul went to the nations and, and uh, did not encourage them to become Jews, okay, uh, but actually he had a message of you can remain the way you are, but uh, for a, a Messianic Jewish community, of course, just, you know, in, in a way, just like Jerus- in the congregation of Jerusalem. We'll see this also again, by the way, in chapter 21, years from now. Okay, all right. All right. So we see, wow. I mean, this is we get the feel. This is very dramatic. Okay, it's like a drama unfolding. This is very dramatic. You want to get that picture, you know, in your mind. And then it says in verse 14, and all the more believers of the Lord, multitudes uh, of men and women were constantly added to their number. Men and women, Uh, everybody is, is the point there were added to their number, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots and pallets, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. And also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. Wow. I mean, this is an amazing thing. Uh, miracle upon miracle is uh, taking place. You know, to me, it kind of reminds me, you know, in the centrality of Peter doing this. Uh, it reminds me of, uh, you know, uh, when um, uh, uh, Yeshua says to Peter, you know, upon this rock I'll build my Kehillah. You know, that, that, that Peter, you are going to I demonstrate the reality of my life, you know? He was not talking about some kind of ecclesial kind of thing. Here, the living Yeshua is demonstrated through uh, Peter uh, in ways, it's like a throwback to Moses. I'm not going to turn to it, but you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verses 10 to 12, where Moses is recounting the signs and wonders and miracles that Moses did, you know, and here you have the signs and miracles and wonders that Peter is doing and the apostles, you know, uh, Moses was the spokesperson of, of God uh, and the work that Moses did was the work of God. So it is here uh, of uh, of Peter, you know, I also, it reminds me of in John chapter 14, where uh, we, we read, uh, surely... I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, uh, he will also do in greater works than these. So we see here in Peter greater works. We see here uh, uh, a demonstration, a powerful demonstration of the living Yeshua. In the very place where Yeshua taught, the very place where he was judged, the very place uh, where he was humiliated, the very place where he was executed, here he lives. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. Nothing can keep Yeshua down. Nothing can keep this message from, from uh, moving forward uh, and for people being uh, delivered. And that is going to be like a theme through the rest of this chapter that tells a very interesting story. Now in verse 17, But the high priest rose up, along with all his associates, that is, the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with a jealousy. They were, oh, they hated seeing this. Now, doesn't that tell you something? People are being healed and delivered. They were filled with jealousy. And you know, I, if this was like a pastor's meeting or a rabbi's meeting, this would be a great. I never heard anybody ever use this text for a, a meeting like that. But it would really be great because, you know, uh, what's called professional jealousy here for a second, right? It can really ruin things. Because jealousy comes from pride and, you know, and things of that nature. And, uh, uh, you know, and you, th- that's why oftentimes when uh, congregational leaders get together, they talk about their congregations. Oh, how many people you got coming? You know, it's kind of like a one-upsmanship kind of thing. And, uh, you know, uh, and, and it just uh, takes the plug of the uh, energy of God out of the, out of the socket, you, you know. And uh, or even individually, sometimes individually, we're jealous of of uh, other people, not even professionally, we wouldn't even call it professional jealousy, but just brothers and sisters in Messiah jealousy. You know, wow, how come that person's doing that or this? Per- you know, uh, we always need to be saying and this is what we say, like in our leadership meetings, we need to do what's, what's good for Beth Messiah, not good for me or good for this one or good for that one. What's the best thing for the congregation? Not for my own being patted on the back, you know, not for my own uh, accolades, not for my own having the spotlight or, you know, that that kind of thing, uh, or being chosen for this or chosen for that. It's what's best for Beth Messiah. Well, you know, uh, the Sadducees should have been saying, what's best for the Jewish people? You know, what is best for uh, God's work in this world? But they were like blinded by jealousy. The jealousy of the power, not just political jealousy, but I will suggest the professional jealousy, so to speak, of the power of God coming out of these guys and not coming out of them. They're the leaders of the people. Who are these guys doing all those miracles? And, of course, that led to, to like people coming from everywhere and, and all of that. So they were blinded uh, by, this, uh, by this jealousy and also of the issue of power, Indeed, as, as well. All right? All right. So they were fill, filled with jealousy. Okay. Uh, uh, and they laid hands on the apostles. And this was kind of, they laid hands on the apostles, but this was not for prayer. Okay? Uh, they laid hands on the apostles. We like to refer to it as perhaps the backhand of fellowship. Right? Okay? Uh, they laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. Again. Right? Put them in jail. But the angel, but an angel of the Lord, during the night opened the gates of the prison, and taking them out, he said, "Go your way, stand and speak to the people in the temple." The whole message uh, of this, uh, the whole message of this life. Okay, so an angel of the Lord. Now you know, I I don't know who this angel of the Lord is. It just says an angel of the Lord. Okay. But it could be so simply how about that? just an angel of the lord you know uh uh open the open the doors uh, and uh, and let them out uh of the jail again, a theme nothing is going to hold back what God is doing, not even a jail okay uh, and so uh, we see that the uh the uh uh the the apostles uh, uh, come out, and it says, go your way. And he tells them what to do. Stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Well, uh, the whole message of this life is like a whole message. But anyway, the whole message of this life. Isn't that a unique way of talking about the good news? The whole message of this life, the life of Yeshua, the life of his death and resurrection, the life of his ascension at the right hand of the Father, the life that he imparts to us, the whole thing, the, the way of life that we have now, the whole, as we would say, the gansa you know, the whole story, the whole thing. Make sure you tell them that. Not just, here, read this prayer so you go to heaven when you die, okay? But the whole good news of deliverance, of life and Messiah, of his life, in our life, and, and the victory of it, uh, and, you know, the beginning of the, the world to come, and this is it, what our ancestors had been preaching and teaching and looking forward to. Make sure that you go to the temple and tell them this. So here, uh, that's exactly what they do. Something that's interesting here is that uh, God tells them to disobey Uh, the uh, edict of uh, the uh, council, right? They're miraculously released from the jail, given orders defying the Sanhedrin to go right back and keep teaching the whole message of this life. Now, we're going to also see the word teaching here. Go back and keep teaching. They did not only do miracles. This was not just about doing miraculous uh, healings or judgments or anything. But they were were teaching the word of life and the miracles were attesting to what they were teaching. Very important, uh, you know, to this story. Uh, And so here they go uh, right back. Now, if it was me, I'd be thinking, oh, great. Isn't it great that the Lord opened up the door and let us out? I'm heading for the hills. I'm going to hide until everything dies down. But they go right back. What must they have been thinking? We're going right back. We're going to get arrested again. It's not like we're, it's not like we're in hiding or something. We're going right back to where we were. They were not very good criminals. Uh, they they would not have made very good criminals. You know what I mean? I, I, any of that kind of stuff. They go right back. Uh, they go right back uh, to it. All right. So in verse twenty-one, and upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak, which would be the time that people are coming for shacharit, uh, coming for morning prayers. And they began to teach. See, they began to teach. Now when the high priest and his associates had come, they called the council together, together, even all the senate of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. Uh, So basically, you know, there's kind of an interesting uh, word here. Uh, So the high priest hear about this. And I was like, aren't they in jail? So it says... They called the council together, even all the Senate of the sons of Israel. This is the only place where that that word, that Greek word, is 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 used. That's translated Senate. Uh, and the point of it is is that everybody in Jewish leadership was up in arms over this. This was not just a few people. The the entire establishment, the entire uh, Jewish leadership. Uh, now some would say that the word council and senate are the same. You know, senate comes from Greek and Ro- you know, Roman uh, culture, the, the word. Uh, um, but that it's referring to the same thing and just accentuating the fact that everybody uh, showed up for this, right? What happened? Where, you know, we got we to gotta figure out what's going on. We can't stop this thing, right? Then it says in verse 22, but the officers who came did not find them in the prison. And they returned and reported back saying, we found the prison house locked quite securely and the guards standing at the door. But when we had, when we had opened up, we found no one inside. But when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were, they were confused. They were greatly perplexed. What have, what, what's happened? But someone came and told them, reported to them, behold the men whom you put in prison? They're at the temple, right? They're at the temple. They're standing in the temple and teaching the people. And the people are listening, right? Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back. They went and got them again. Notice it says, without violence, for they were afraid of the people, lest they should be stoned. They were afraid of the people. That everybody is listening to this message. Everybody is following this thing. And so they are, they are afraid. And so they, they get them, but they don't beat them up. You know, they are with them or they, they bring them back. Okay? When they brought them back, they stood them before the council. And the high priest questioned them. Doesn't it sound kind of like Yeshua? You know, a little bit of an echo of Yeshua being arrested. Right? And the high priest questioning him. Right? Because Yeshua is alive. And here we go again. We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. Interesting, they don't say in the name of Yeshua, the name of the Nazarene, in this name. Many believe this was like proof of the beginning of, you know, traditionally Jewish people don't say Yeshua's name. Uh, they use, sadly, a, uh, a very negative uh, word uh, to describe Yeshua. Uh, And so it says this name, uh, like with great disdain, you know, they don't mention the name, this name, teaching in this name. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So we see another layer of what they're fearful about and what they're mad about, where it says, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. What do we mean by, um, you know, uh, this man's uh, blood upon us? Uh, Well, we'll be blamed for his death. Uh, Or uh, you'll bring judgment upon us if any of this is true. Or the Romans will have our heads. Because one thing the Romans hated was any kind of uprising. Any kind of uprising. And there was a real uprising here in Jerusalem. Or maybe they were thinking about Ananias and Sapphira, you know, like judgment. This man's blood will be upon us. So, you know, it's, uh, this was re- they were really afraid that they were going to pay a price for all that has taken place with Yeshua. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, notice always Peter and the apostles here. It's Peter is the embodiment of the apostles. He's a spokesperson, you know, and we read about Peter, but the apostles Uh, we're living out the life of Yeshua in a very dramatic way, much like Moses or Moses and Aaron. But Peter and the apostles answered them and said, we must obey God rather than men. Now he said this before, and now he says it again. and And we know very literally God told them to do this. So they knew their mission. They had heard from God. They knew what they were called to do, and nothing was going to stop them. The God of our fathers raised up Yeshua, whom you had put to death by hanging him on the cross. He's he's just laying it out. The God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob raised up Yeshua. You know, some have said that when it says says raised up Yeshua, yes, this is like a repeat of what Peter said in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 3, part of his speeches there. But it's also interesting that it says in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15, that God was going to raise up a prophet like Moses. God raised up a prophet like Moses. And here you have raised up Yeshua. This is not talking about his resurrection. Like bringing him about, you know? Uh, the one who was promised by our ancestors. You killed. Like bringing that out. Not just he came and you killed him. Or you misunderstood him and you go. But he's the one who was promised. A prophet like Moses. Right? Uh, whom you had put to death by hanging him on the cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. The one whom God exalted to his right hand, like in Psalm 110, the great famous messianic psalm of kingship and priesthood, right? Uh, As a prince, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 the Prince of Peace, right? And a Savior, Isaiah chapter 42 and 43 and 44. I am he, there is no Savior besides me. That in all these words, uh, Peter is saying, the one who was promised, look what you did. This is not some uh, uh, you know smoke and mirrors job. This is not some pagan entity. Home, you guys are in big trouble, all right? Uh, even though Peter has already said this was all according to the predetermined plan of God. We covered that already. But this is in their lives that the, the, the high priest and his Sanhedrin needed to hear this of, of, of their own where you know of their own hearts. You know, in a kind of a way, kind of like Pharaoh. You know, Pharaoh hardened his heart, right? God hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, right? Uh, uh, he was uh, jealous, full of pride, uh, and uh, and here we see God used him, but yet Pharaoh had a hardened heart. So we see that God, yes, God used the Sanhedrin, but sadly, they had a hardened heart, filled indeed with jealousy uh, and hatred. And so Peter is just laying this out. And then he says in verse 32, and we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. But then it says, but when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and were intending to kill them. Now we're going to stop there. Okay. And so we see uh, uh, just how, how angry they were, how upset they were to, uh, to hear uh, all of this. So what, what is our takeaway for us here uh, is... First of all, just what I've been saying—that nothing, whether it's prison, politics, the Sanhedrin, the people, the death of Yeshua—nothing was going to hold back the plan of God. You know, and again, uh, I'm I'm not going to quote. I'm not going to take the time to quote this word for word. But when Yeshua says to Peter, "Upon this rock I'll build my kahilah," and the, you know, the gates of hell. Cannot, uh, you know, cannot hold it back. And so here we see here uh, Peter is leading the charge of the apostles, uh, demonstrating the very life of Yeshua uh, uh, to demonstrate to the Jerusalemites, you cannot hold Yeshua down. This is the truth. And this is what's going on. And you've got to remember that because this is what Gamaliel is going to be kind of thinking about next week. All right. All right, uh, now, but there's something else here, I, 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 and I think a real takeaway for us in our everyday existence, listen, we don't live in the first century, uh, we don't have the, the same exact situation, uh, uh, yeah, maybe we will uh, at some time, uh, you know, be thrown in, in prison, but today uh, I am not worried uh, that I'm going to get arrested for standing here speaking, uh, you know, uh, and uh, and so we we're not living in first century Jerusalem and with the Sanhedrin coming against us and all of that. Uh, we live in in a uh, you know a little bit of a different time. Yet we still face persecution. Yet we still uh, face uh, deadly issues, uh, you know, in in our lives. And I think a real takeaway for us is: Do we have the same kind of courage? the same kind of boldness that these apostles uh, had the question for us when we look at this passage is not how can i how can i do miracles like uh like the apostles the question for us is can i have that kind of boldness you know to to move forth and to teach the word in the temple right where i know that bad things might happen to me do we have you know that same kind of, uh, that same kind of a, a courage. You know, there's a, a, for the sake of time, I'm going to cut to uh, a, one thing in particular. Uh, and uh, that is, you know, Paul makes a statement in uh, Romans chapter 1 about courage. Here was, uh, we'll read about him, uh, you know, a few, a few chapters down. Right now we're reading about Peter's courage. But it's, you know, Paul also was arrested and was uh, flailed and was, you know, had a lot of bad things happen to him. And he was a macher, you know. Paul was like, uh, you know, a well-known uh, Pharisee. And by embracing Yeshua, he is, he goes to the bottom of the barrel, you know, in the eyes of people and everything. Uh, and, and we know that he was ridiculed. And we know that he was in prison. But he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for I am not ashamed of the good news, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For this message, I'm just interested at the beginning. I am not ashamed of the uh, of the gospel. No, Paul was uh, very uh, 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 was courageous. Uh, he was uh, confident, right? I uh, and you know. Uh, It kind of reminds me of another passage uh, where this confidence may have come from. You know, in Isaiah 50, it's one of the servant song passages. There's four servant song passages, Isaiah 42, 49, 50, and 53, the hallmark passage of the suffering servant. But in Isaiah chapter 50, we have here a prophecy of like the words of the suffering servant. And he says, for the Lord helps me, therefore I am not disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Let him draw near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is he who condemns me? Behold, they will all wear out like a garment. The moth uh, will eat them. I would suggest that Peter and the apostles... And Paul, uh, they're echoing these words of the suffering servant that, you know, who can come against me if God is for me? They knew their mission. They knew their calling. They knew why why they were there. And so this, you know, this, anything that, anything negative that happened did not deter them. Uh, And, uh, you know, and it's a great lesson indeed uh, uh, for us. And one more place is in 2 Timothy chapter 1, where Paul, where Timothy's kind of down in the dumps a little bit, and Paul is encouraging him, and he says um, in verse 5, For I am mindful of the sincere faith which, which is within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. And for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of cowardice. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Right, Actually, that means right thinking in Greek. Therefore, therefore, because he has given us boldness, because he has given us confidence, because he's given us power and driven by his love and thinking rightly... Therefore, do not be ashamed of, this, of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the good news according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purposes and grace which was granted us in Messiah Yeshua from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Messiah Yeshua, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. For this reason, now, this is the last part, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. He repeats it again. I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Uh, And and so that's the challenge for us. When we read this passage in uh, Acts chapter 5, when we read this narrative of what took place, it is indeed powerful. But a question for us is, do we have that same kind of confidence? Do we have that same kind of boldness? Or are we more concerned about what people think? Are we more concerned about what might happen to us? Are we more concerned uh, about acceptance? I don't see that here. They were bold. They were bold because they knew who they were in Messiah Yeshua. They knew who they were. They knew what their calling was. They were filled with the uh, Ruach. They knew the promises of God. Uh, They knew that Yeshua was alive. Uh, They had courage uh, because they knew they were forgiven. They had courage because they had hope in him. They had courage because they were filled with the ruach. They knew God's promises. And they knew uh, uh, from the words of Joshua and elsewhere: be strong and courageous. You know, in 2 Chronicles 32 it says, be strong and courageous, says it there too. For the one who is greater than the one, uh, for the one who is greater with us is the one who is greater than than in him. For for him, with him is only an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And Chronicles is talking about a physical, uh, you know, uh, enemy. But remember, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Remember uh, that Ananias uh, filled, uh, you know, with the lies of Hasatan, but Peter could discern it, and that was the end of Ananias. Right. They knew uh, uh, that they had prayer. That they knew that, their, uh, uh, you know, that the day they called on God, God would answer them. And we see that also in chapter 5 as well. Remember the first thing we said here, that they prayed for boldness. After they were released the first time in chapter 4, in verse 30, they prayed for boldness. They prayed for confidence, and God gave it to them. May we pray for that kind of confidence and that kind of boldness. Uh, to be a testimony uh, of Messiah. Uh, and we might see uh, perhaps some fruit uh, of, uh, of that calling and of that work. So let's uh, pause here and pray. Lord uh, God, thank you for uh, this uh, testimony of, uh, of boldness and of confidence. Thank you, Lord, that the apostles, they didn't run for cover, but they ran right back to the temple. and They kept going. Because that's what you told them to do. Lord, may we all realize that regardless of our physical vocation in life, our true vocation is to be a testimony of your faithfulness. You know, no matter what we do for a living, Lord, may we realize that our identity is in you. Our, our primary identity is in you. Lord, may we open our eyes and see every opportunity to share the good news. May we be fools for Messiah as... Paul calls himself Lord uh, God, uh, but I pray, Lord, that but just as you have not given us a spirit of cowardice, you've given us power and, uh, and love, but also the discipline, right thinking. Lord, we don't want to be obnoxious or arrogant or communicate something that is not right or, or true, uh, you know, or something that repels people, because Lord, the people were coming, were flocking to them. And so, uh, God, may we realize that, and may we share our faith with boldness, and may we never be ashamed of the good news, for it is indeed the power of God for deliverance to to the Jewish people, but also to the Gentiles, for all of us. We pray that in Yeshua's name, amen.